Now entering Nerdist.com. The Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, Episode 1, The Cage. Welcome to the premiere episode of The Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Our mission is to walk through every episode of Star Trek in order and figure out the message behind the story. And then we log it. What are the points? What's the moral? How does this whole thing hold up today? All of these questions and more are discussed by us. Me, I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. In this edition, we're talking about the unaired first pilot for Star Trek, The Cage. It's unique in Star Trek lore for having an almost entirely different cast than the one that became famous. And it's unique in TV history for being one of the only times a network ordered a second pilot after the first one was rejected. And with that, we begin. While you may know Star Trek... This is not the Star Trek you know. Who are these people? And what are they doing on Kirk's ship? The crew of the USS Enterprise, headed by Captain Christopher Pike, is smarting after a battle on Rigel 7. On the way to tend to their wounded, they are sidelined by an old signal from the USS Columbia, lost some 18 years ago. Now, 18 years is a long time, and Pike figures there's no one at the other end anymore, but a second call comes through, so away they go to Talos IV, the source of the transmission. Upon arriving, the crew are amazed to find a handful of survivors, most elderly, but one a beautiful young woman named Vina. Suddenly, the Columbia crew disappear and Captain Pike finds himself separated from his own crew, now trapped by the Tolosians in essentially a zoo cage. Appearing at his side sporadically is Vina, who explains that the Tolosians are their keepers, who can dole out punishment or reward based on how well they accept their captivity. The plus side here is huge. Anything Pike can dream can be manifested, anything from being back on Earth to being a powerful slave trader, and it's made to feel real. There is a downside, though. He is still just a rat in a cage. The Tolosians have devolved from a point of supreme power to a weak and insular class, only unbounded by their mental powers. They explain that they will rely on their captive specimens to help repair machinery, explore, and reattain their will. Vina is also there as a specimen to help Pike add to the population. <laughs> There's a heavy voyeuristic bent to their needs, from the merely practical to the vicarious experience of their inmates' emotional lives. While Pike is plotting his escape, the Enterprise crew are devising a way to break through, but their massive laser cannon bounces off the Tolosian jail, leaving Pike trapped. The crew makes a second attempt to save the captain, this time by teleporting into the Tolosian stronghold, but the Tolosians anticipate this and hijack the transporter, leaving the men aboard the Enterprise and adding to the female human stock. Pike's attempts to enter a moral debate with the Tolosians fall short. He expresses humanity's need to be free, but they would rather, well, they would just rather he get along with the business of being in his cage and doing what they tell him to do. 
So agitated, Pike realizes that his violent base emotions are too primitive for the Tolosians to comprehend, and he does manage to make a leap and throttle one of his captors. Back on the surface, Pike's hostage now reveals that the laser cannon did break through, and in fact, much more of what has been occurring is mere illusion. The Tolosians have also scanned the computers of the Enterprise and find, to their surprise, that humans don't like being in cages, even if they're really swank cages with fetching companions, great food and drink, or at least the illusion of it, and whatever surroundings they choose, provided they're willing to look beyond the fact that ultimately those surroundings are in a cage. Plus, the humans were about to kill themselves rather than being turned into well-treated slaves, so there's that too. In a final reveal, Vina is seen for who she really is, a haggard, misshapen version of herself who survived the Columbia wreck but couldn't be cared for by the Tolosians. She's living her life only through the illusions provided to her. Are we sure the Tolosians are that smart? <laughs> you know... I know it's put forward that they're very advanced, but... Uh, the reason that she's misshapen at the end is because they've never seen a human before, and so they put her together as best they can, but they don't know what so, a human looks like, and, you know, they pretty much look at Talosian. Well, so let's assume that all of the <laughs> medical records on the Columbia were destroyed right. during the crash, right. and uh, you know what? The Talosians are, as as I've heard before, I've heard described, they're, they're book smart. Yeah. But uh, but well, they not, don't maybe have a lot of comments. Smart. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're not, not people, people smart. smart. Yeah, they're not, they're not street smart. Yeah, or yeah. maybe they just wanted you know like you know if I were making a body, I <laughs> right. put the shoulder right about up here with the ear. Now stick with me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it struck me as kind of a. It's it's designed by committee. Yeah, well, yeah. or not. It's designed no, by not. five guys who you know want to get to the bar before it closes. So I, I've got uh, some questions for you here, Ken. All right. Um, it, now, this episode never actually aired on TV until 1980. I believe it was 86 or 88. Wow. Is, is that the first time you saw that? I mean, surely this, in preparation for our show, was not the first time you saw it. I honestly don't remember. Were you? I, I mean, I'm watching, I'm watching all of these differently now. I, I don't know how many episodes of Star Trek I've seen versus how many I have not. I would imagine a lot is going to be jarred. I mean, the problem with this episode is they actually, you know, they cut it up and used it in... Um, uh, in the Menagerie. In the Menagerie. Thank you very yeah. much. They cut it up and used it in the Menagerie. So I can't tell you if I ever saw this the way it never aired or if I've just seen it, uh, you know, cut up and, and, and sliced up as the whole courtroom drama in the Menagerie mm. later. Got it. Got it. Well, I, back during the 70s and 80s, uh, so before next gen when gene roddenberry was going around doing his college lecture tour the the big highlight or there are two highlights of the show he would speak a little bit and then he would run the uh the blooper reel and apparently most of the cast hated the fact that he showed the blooper reel um but he would do that they would do more discussion and then he would show the 16 millimeter black and white print of the cage and i remember being i was probably 10 or 11 years old this was in between Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock in Birmingham, Alabama. He was a guest at UAB and he showed this and, and I, I was just amazed. I, I could not believe that Star Trek could exist in this different format with this different captain. Um, and, and I was just blown away. And then they went into discussion after that. Uh, but I, I, I just thought it was so cool to see different Star Trek, the Star Trek that never was. 
It really is. I mean, it is interesting to see that, and, and it's especially interesting if we're going to view this, you know, sort of outside of um, the Star Trek universe. It, it's fascinating to me to to see terms that we would be very familiar with later. Like, I don't remember Spock. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me, I don't remember Kirk very often calling Spock number one if he ever did. But that's Captain Pike's first officer's name or, right. or her, her designation anyway. Uh, same right. as uh, on Next Gen. Yeah. Which is which is neat to see, you know, ideas sort of, uh, okay, well, that doesn't work this time. But but 20 years from now, when I get to do another show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be all over the place. It's the same thing with, um, well, this is getting way out of Star Trek. But if you go to Quester, I mean, there, there are a couple of data jokes mm-hmm. there. Uh, yeah. So, it, I mean, it's neat to, to sort of watch and it's neat to watch things turn back up in his work uh, over, over the course of decades. Well, I'm going to ask you to put on your speculation hat mm-hmm. here. Because okay. I know you've got one. Yeah. Um, and do you think that this show would have survived, maybe not to the extent that Star Trek does today, but do you think this show would have survived with this cast? That's interesting. I don't know. It's a fairly it's a fairly homogenous cast, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there are things there are things to love about the cast of of, uh, of the Star Trek that we all know. I mean, there are differences in each one, and yet we're we're all sort of able to to work together. Whereas uh, the differences on the cast of uh, the Cage are pretty much: uh, are you male or are you female? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of it. I believe there right. is a, there's a there's a gentleman of Asian descent who runs one of the uh, <laughs> runs the um, runs the teleporter. Right. But I don't think he has any any speaking lines. It's a very it's a very white cast. And yeah. and I, it, it's it sounds you know I, I'm white, so it's not like I'm <laughs> against the cast. But I mean, there's there, there was always something really wonderful about the Star Trek that we all know, where there is a there is a communications officer of color, there is a uh, there is a yeah. uh, helmsman, uh, Japanese helmsman. There's the Russian kid who sits up at the front. Uh, right. There's the alien on the. I take right. it back. That is the difference. Actually, there is an alien on the Enterprise, yeah. uh, Spock. Although we don't find much about his alienness in this episode. All we know is you know he's got the pointy ears. So. Yeah, must be not from around here. Well, and, and you know, I just feel like, and particularly with Spock, um, you know, that that's the one place. Like, I really like uh, Captain Pike, and, mm-hmm. and I really like Jeffrey Hunter's portrayal of him. Uh, but it is, as has been noted, you know, a little dry. He's just sort of playing the heroic captain, and there is something about that dynamic between Shatner's Captain Kirk and what Spock then became because Spock is a totally different creature in this episode. He he's playing some pretty bizarre emotions and there are all kinds of fans who love to retcon that into later Star Trek, uh, including the JJ Abrams 2009 Star Trek. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know as much as I like this cast and as much as I like it as kind of an oddity um, and kind of, I'm curious to see more of that. I just feel like it, it may have died an early death and not come back the way that Star Trek that we all know and love did. Well, I mean, there are definitely things that, right. I mean, there are things that we know. And mm-hmm. so it's hard for us to imagine it living without that. And, you know, right. certainly NBC agreed. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> it didn't, wisely. Yeah, 20 something years, you say, before it actually hit television. So it's not like, you know, this is not Firefly. Yeah. I mean, this right. is not, you know, this is not that 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 sort of you know thing that everybody got behind and still got canceled because not quite enough people got behind it. I mean, this it's fascinating, actually, that we get to see Star Trek at all based on this. So, I mean, yeah. there are lots of strengths, but, you know, somebody decided it wasn't going to, if you'll pardon them, it wasn't going to fly. Right. <laughs> right. 
And right. so, yeah, I mean, would you have watched it? I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, think of what else was on. And I hate to sound stupid about that, but what else was on? I mean, I, I will watch bad science fiction if there's no good science fiction available because I'm a science oh, fiction fan. So, you know, yeah. had somebody gotten behind this, I feel certain it would have lasted for at least a season or two. Right. Just because, you know, what was it up against? But but I think it's kind of nice that, you know, they had that year to recharge, reassess and redevelop what they wanted to. I mean, that that is such a rare luxury. And and I as as I tend to say to a lot of people who are in the industry, there's big quotes around it. Um, you know, every director needs an editor. Every writer needs an editor. And I think that those changes that were made really benefited the show. And it's such a rare luxury luxury to be able to step back and say, okay, here are the things that worked. Here are the things that didn't. We get to do it all over again instead of just trying to cobble it together while you're in the middle of production. So you know? then every director needs an editor. Every writer needs an editor. What does every editor need? <laughs> Good friends who are honest. Ah, not <laughs> yeah. bad. There you go. So, um, Hey, I have some interesting notes. Um, I well, you and I both had the uh, the pleasure of looking through some of Gene Roddenberry's original handwritten notes from the Roddenberry archive and being able to see what changed and what didn't. And hey, you know, I just wrote down maybe eight or ten of these that I thought were particularly interesting to me. Um, the first of which is the fact that the original notes of the cage, I thought didn't change too drastically from what ended up on screen. You know, his basic story outline is very close to what we got to see. Now, he did write in a bit more backstory, um, some of which departed from what was filmed. Um, I think in the final version, they tend to focus on this idea of Pike repopulating the planet. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got a quite a job ahead of him there um but 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 i think in the original notes there, there's less emphasis on that and more emphasis just on the idea that telosians are sort of um these voyeuristic observers who are unable and unwilling to explore you know they and he doesn't say it in so many words but but roddenberry basically says that they are slaves to their tv sets everything is brought to them over these monitors mm-hmm and they just sort of live through that. And I thought that was an interesting thing to write during the golden age of television. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? So I'm going to pitch a TV show. Okay, well, what's it about? Well, it's about how bad it is to watch television all the time. Right. Oh, good. Yes, yeah, right. well, let's, let's, get, let's get episode two ready. <laughs> right. Um, I thought it was also interesting. You know, a lot of people know this, but some don't, that uh, Captain Pike's name changed. Um, he was originally Robert April, and then he was James Winter, and then he was Captain Pike again. They sort of brought that back out. Um, and it, James Winter, I don't think ever, anything was ever done with that name again, but Robert April was actually worked into the animated series mm. later on. So really? they kind of brought him back, yeah. Okay. Um, the Toulousians originally spoke with a squeaky language um and i do think that telepathy is a better choice dramatically and stylistically right <laughs> um and then you know there are some interesting character traits in there um throughout the notes roddenberry will describe like uh yeoman cult of course she preceded yeoman rand and then number one uh majel roddenberry's character majel barrett roddenberry's character he described them as emotional and Always, I, I love this, in quotes, always the woman 
with their concerns for Pike. It wasn't just they're very concerned for Pike, but always the woman, they're concerned for Pike, or she is concerned for Pike. Well, it's, sh- <laughs> it's shorthand, isn't it? It is. It I mean, is. I'm not saying, I mean, we can, you know, uh, I would imagine at some point we'll have you know, discussions about, you know, sexism. <laughs> <laughs> Once or twice. Because yeah, yeah. we're talking about a 1960s TV show, so how can you not? But, sure. um, you know, it's shorthand, and hopefully, yeah. it's, hopefully it's forgiven as time goes on. Right, right. Um, Jose Tyler, described as always the Latin and also emotional. But he gives these sort of emotional notes about almost everybody except for uh, Pike, you know. Um, and then uh, Spock, fortunately, they abandoned the whole idea of his red devilish look and the British accent. I'm glad that uh, he did not play it that way. Um, and, and finally, the thing that I thought was really cool, they, they don't use this exact name, but in the notes... Roddenberry describes what is essentially the Elcar's computer that we then saw in Next Gen. So right to your point about things that are spelled out later on in, in later series and later incarnations, it's pretty close in his notes here. He describes this library computer and with these stations that can then pull that vast amount of data uh, to a person. So he, he basically says this is an Elcar's computer. There's a lot of really cool stuff actually like that that happens, it seems to me, that they're sort of just laying the groundwork for the future that we're going to go to. And it's mm-hmm. and, But there's mm-hmm. no, like, like, if you think about Star Trek The Motion Picture, it's obvious that uh, the people at the head of that movie really enjoyed having an actual budget because we, want, we spend, I want to say, between 7 and 25 minutes buzzing around the outside of the Enterprise. Oh, yeah. In the beginning of Star Trek, the motion picture. And I understand why entirely. They've always had, like, you know, this little model that they sort of, you know, flew by really quickly or that might be around the planet. And that's about it. Right. And now you've got this chance to do, like, this really incredible stuff. What's great about having a TV budget, it seems to me, is the fact that you're not necessarily going to, especially in those times, and, you know, plus where technology was as far as special effects, you're not going to be able to show everything in, in, in incredible detail. And so instead, I think they make these fantastic choices where they're just like, yeah, Spock gets on the video phone, and he doesn't mm-hmm. say, I'm getting on the video phone now, and they don't talk about it. It's just that, you know, when he hails Pike, all of a sudden he pops up on a little screen in their room, which we can do today with so much of the technology that we have, but it was it was, it was was very Buck Rogers to think about right. it in those times, or maybe uh, very Star Trek would be another way right. to put that. Uh, yeah. You know, same kind of thing with the, the communicator. When we first see the communicator they hang on the communicator for just like a second or two too long i love that shot but it's just a, but it, but but it really is just enough for you to really cuz watching it 50 years later i mean i've got one in my pocket i i yeah. sometimes guest on a show called we have communicators that's all about the iphone and the ipod i mean we've all got this stuff now right but you know in 1960 was it 4 or 5 when this was filmed uh 5 in 1965 that idea was just, you know, and, and he's just got it in his pocket. He's just laying that on the table. Oh, my God, I would put that, you know, in velvet someplace because how, yeah. how incredible is that technology? And so, I right. mean, it actually does a really good job. And again, to your, you know, to your hypothetical question, would you have watched this? I mean, if they kept throwing me stuff like that from time to time. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Are you mm-hmm. kidding me? These guys, these guys walk around with lasers and, 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 and communicators and, and things. Cool really jackets. Come in cool jackets. Yes. <laughs> Although uh, no red shirts. No. No. No, it's a much more muted color palette. The blue and, and the gold. I have no idea when I'm watching it who's going to die. Yeah. Because I'm not yeah. getting the visual cue of the red shirt. 
Right, right. Well, you know, you mentioned Star Trek, the motion picture. And one of the things about that movie is, again, they muted the color palette. And that very much looks like, you know, not necessarily in style, in design. Um, but this first pilot episode is uh, uh, playing down the colors. And then when they got picked up, everything got a coat of paint. Everything got yeah. the you know the red rails and all that, and really pop on TV. And you do notice that when you're watching um, when you're watching the Man Trap. I mean, if you go from watching the Cage to watching the Man Trap, which I did over the course of you know the past couple of days, getting ready for these shows, mm-hmm. um, you you do notice that. But you know what? We're not watching the Man Trap today, so why don't we talk about watching that when we're watching that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I had a couple of notes as well that I, I thought we might want to talk about before we get into the, the heavy discussion. Um, I like the fact that Pike is really conflicted in, in his conversation with Dr. Boyce. Um, it, that's something that you never see in Kirk um, until later, until the movies, when it's a more mature Kirk. Uh, but Pike is really having second thoughts. He, he's had to watch his crew members die and... Um, he doesn't want to be the guy who has to decide that anymore. So he has a heart to heart with the doctor. And I thought it was a cool kind of out of step thing for a starship captain, um, particularly at that time. Well, it shows a maturity about um, the, I mean, about the idea of what space is going to be. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not, not to keep referencing it, but I don't, I don't know who died in Buck Rogers, who wasn't a bad guy. I mean, we very yeah, rarely right. had to see, you know, Flash Gordon was never standing over the dead body of Dale Arden weeping. Right. I mean, we didn't have the kind of problems. I mean, usually in space, whether you want to call it science fiction or space opera, our heroes are heroes. They wear mm-hmm. white hats and the bad guys wear black hats and they might, you know, they might um, they might die or they might get, you know, taken away someplace or they might, you know, escape to come back and fight us another time. And and what's being presented, I think, with what happened on Rigel Seven and and with Pike's conflict is, uh, th- you know, this is this is a job, and yeah. and sometimes it goes great and it's really fun, and sometimes it goes poorly, and you know, sometimes it goes so horribly poorly that you just you know you want to chuck the whole thing. Right. I mean, so that's like that, that's not so much about a maturity in in Pike versus uh, Kirk, I think, as much as it's about setting up the idea that you know this is this is this is a gig. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. as bad as working on the Nostromo, but you know, <laughs> it's a gig. And, and, right. and sometimes things don't go as well as you want. Right, right. You know, uh, you, you asked why the uh, Tolosians were so bad at putting Vina back together. And, um, I, and I just had to ask, you know, I, I, are they really that blind to their own abilities? Like, clearly, the, the whole slavery is wrong thing never entered into their uh, development and evolution as a species. Somehow they got left out. Um, but, but it's interesting that, that that's the only way that they have to get beyond themselves, is they have to have other people to help them out. You know, it seems like if they can create these incredible things with their minds, and they can create and uh, uh, maybe repair the machinery that they have, uh, but create ways to help them get out of their own limitations. But apparently that's forgotten how to do that. Right. Um, oh, you don't think that's a danger here? Yeah, well. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is, this, is, this is 100% a danger in the world that we live in today. I'm fairly yeah. certain. Well, yeah, okay. and, and maybe this is a horrible thing to say, but, you know, watch, what, which one is it? Is it the Smithsonian Channel or... The Discovery sure. Channel or, you know, one of them has some has some show about the end of civilization. And it's not like the Mayan thing. And it's not like, you know, if we were hit by a meteor, but it's more like, you know, if everybody got sick 
And, yeah, like, and like the five guys on the planet who knew how to run an electric generator uh, were no longer there. Or the five guys in your town who knew how to do that. Yeah, we're about seven days away from, you know, anarchy. We're about seven days away from being that big thing on Rigel 7. So, I mean, to to say... How could they well, not know? I mean, how how could they know? I'm I'm not I'm not 100 percent convinced that anything that physically happened on on Talos actually happened on Talos Four actually happened because it's all you know mind bleepery. I call it. <laughs> right. I mean, well, I know what you're saying. They're they're yeah. bleeping with people's minds, man. And yeah. so I don't know, like physically, like I can't even tell. Are they are they like willing Vina to be in his cage, and is she ever actually physically? in his cage or is she off someplace else you know that because <laughs> in the original they, notes because if they yeah. can do that then you're right they should be able to fix everything you know what we need we need a new one of these things well you right. know poof okay here's a new one of these things let's continue okay wait a minute did you really make a new one of those things or are you just making me think you made a new one of those things because seriously right. we could run out of air this is yeah. important yeah. <laughs> in the original notes, they, they leave that kind of vague, yeah. you know, at least for the, you know, for the first three quarters of it. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of my point. It's like, OK, sure. Humanity is very well close to wiping itself off the planet, but we don't have uh, fabulous mental powers to be able to conjure up anything that we want um, and can fool each other with that. But the Telosians do. Um, and they were unable, even if they had destroyed the vast majority of their planet and their civilization, um, that their their best next answer to how to rebuild is to enslave other people. But I guess that brings us to the next point, that uh, slave trading is apparently a viable career in uh, the future, because <laughs> that is one of Captain Pike's fantasy sequences Um uh, and he even discusses that with Dr. Boyce. Oh, other, other way around, other way around. Uh -huh. Boyce is the one who brings up slave trading. Well, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> so, Pike's not like, you know, I really want to be as a slave trader. Yeah. Nuts, yeah, nuts yeah. to this, you know, advancing humanity thing. I'm, I'm ready right. to go trade me some green women. Now, of course, later it is sort of revealed that, you know, the idea does appeal to him a little bit, mostly because of the green women. Well, or yeah. one. And, and and speaking of the women in the cage, I, I just have to say that Vina is probably one of my all-time favorites. I think she is uh, she's gorgeous, and uh, unlike a lot of uh, actresses on the original Star Trek, she's got a lot to do. Yeah, it's true. You know, she gets to play everything in this episode, and I think that is just so cool. Uh, but yeah, she's she's up there in my top five. Yeah, I'm a yeoman cult man myself. Oh, I love Yeoman Colt. She's so cute. She's so cute. She has nothing to do, but she's so cute. <laughs> no, except for bump into the captain and ask embarrassing questions at the wrong time. Speaking right. of which, should we go on to other things? Let's do it. While these characters may not be around for long, they may have a lot to teach us. What lessons can we learn from and take from the cage? All right. I know you said before we get into something heavy, but can I can I pause for just one second and say, sure. um, uh, in fairness, slave trading is fairly heavy. <laughs> 
there's, Sleep training is heavy, Ken. There's, um, there's a, there's a yeah. thing that's sort of interesting. I, I, in watching the episodes, especially in this context, because I've watched them before and it's like, oh, that's neat. Or sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you watch one and you think, oh, that blows my mind. But in watching them in the context of doing of, of, of doing the mission log, um, every clue seems to me to be saying where we are. It, it feels to me like we're much more Old West in this iteration of Star Trek than we are even in the one that just came a year later, the one where we actually get Kirk and Spock and Bones. Yes. Um, yes. And, and that's why you end up with something like, you know, yeah, slave training is cool. It, it seems to me that it's that we are we are we're much more frontiersmen in this one. The fact that the fact that people had actually gotten 18 years out when they didn't have uh, faster than light travel or when they didn't have, you know, uh, warp travel. Right. And they sent in a they sent a you know a beacon. They sent a, a you know a distress signal, and it took eighteen years from where they were with the technology that they had to get to where the Enterprise would intercept it. I mean right. that to me is kind of interesting. It also speaks to the whole frontier thing that they they've got a ship full of wounded people and they've got a doctor, but they've still got wounded people that need that need more than what they're able to provide on that ship. And so right away, Pike makes a decision. Um, the possibility of people over there is not worth the reality of people here when he chooses not to go and you can see there, there, there are looks on the bridge. Like really, we're just going to leave those people. He's making, mm-hmm. he's making a very, he's making a very, you know, sort of Dr. Quinn medicine woman. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not that one. He's making a very, yeah. a very pioneer, you know, assessment of the situation and saying, you want to go save, you know, 10 people that might not be there and risk the, you know, 200 people. Right. What is it, like 203? It was a surprisingly right. small number. I, I yeah. tend to think of yeah. starships in terms of... They, they, they doubled the size of the crew when they went to Kirk era. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. I, I just, I mean, I just want to, I mean, it, it feels to me like even like throwaway stuff. Like there was a thing that you and I debated whether we were going to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to jump around a little bit. Um, sure, yeah. at, at one point, you mentioned the, the punishment that can be doled out by the Telosians. Yes. Uh, for people who don't perform well in their cage. Okay. Well, uh, Pike, I think, gets punished twice, maybe once. Right. The time that we see his punishment, he is in hell. Right. He, he is put in hell. And they don't say hell. But what he is is he's in this, like, mucky, awful, watery kind of substance that's obviously causing him pain. And there's flames all around. And there's sort of like a cave background. And, mm-hmm. and you know that he is in hell. Mm-hmm. And when they bring him back, the Telosian says, um, a legend from uh, Earth's past. A legend right. you heard in childhood, I believe right. is what they said. This lasts for maybe 20 seconds, maybe 25 seconds. But this again is 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 Gene Roddenberry and everybody behind Star Trek saying, hey, guess what? We're beyond now. Yeah, we're beyond the idea of heaven and hell. We're beyond the idea of of, of, of superstition guiding us and that to me is absolutely stunning because it's not a full episode and it's not preachy it is in fact the opposite of preachy it is just it's so minuscule yeah and and i think that's why it kind of passed by me as being really important because i I think somewhere in my mind seeing that scene and registering what it is that is going on and what the Toulousean says about it um I, I think sometimes I'm, I'm watching this going, well, what was going through the mind of the writer or producer at that time? Mm-hmm. And whether it's a, a clip like that or the idea of slave trading, um, I, I think that this is a sort of squeezing in a little thing to say, hey, this is different 
you know, th- this is outer space and it's different. Whether or not we literally mean that uh, the Christian concept of hell is wiped out from Earth or from, from uh, you know, contemporary Earth understanding or that it is still there in some form. It's just the idea to make a separation instead of a Tolosian saying, remember hell? This is what hell is like, <laughs> you know, but, but instead it, it's the ability to just say that this is a legend, maybe for the audience, they clue into that as, as you so rightly did to say, oh, yeah, you know, we're, we're sort of moving beyond the classic interpretation of religion um, and, and that sort of good and bad uh, punishment. Um, but to me, it's just sort of a, another one of those indicators in Star Trek that you get every now and then that says, remember, we're not on contemporary Earth. And this is a way that we can kind of use uh, language and inference to drive that home. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel the same way about the slave trading. It, it, it's not that necessarily, it, you know, if you held the everybody who wrote on this show to whether or not slave trading is a viable career option, I think they would all say <laughs> no. Although some Hollywood producers may say yes. Um, but I think they would all say no. But like you said, this is the frontier. Yeah. And, and the more things that we can throw in front of them, the characters, and throw in front of us, the audience, that says, this is not Earth as you know it, then you, you go along for the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't you know. know. I, 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 I take the part about heaven and hell a bit more seriously than the whole slave trade thing because, I mean, while we've said that, we've said that term, we've said that term much, 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 much more than they say in the episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really just mm-hmm. a throwaway line between Boyce and, uh, and Pike that sort of mm-hmm. comes back in, in one of the fantasies that the Talosians uh, lay out for Pike. So you know Pike's been thinking about it ever since Boyce brought it up. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, yeah. but that's not, I mean, that's obviously not one of the guideposts. I mean, again, if we look at right. the guideposts that are being laid out as far as the future, it seems to me. Um, yeah. Which, 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 which is the, which to me is the most important part of all the Star Trek stuff. I mean, it's, it's fun to say, yeah, you can zip around the galaxy and, oh, look at that, you can transport. But I mean, this really feels to me. It can serve in some ways as a blueprint, not just for where we think we're going to go, but where we want to go. I mean, it appeals to the you know better angels of our nature, and mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. know to say, hey, guess what? We're done. We're done with you know the whole heaven and hell thing is kind of cool because it's the heaven and hell thing that you know ends with people blowing other people up because they disagree, or shooting people because they disagree, or sending armies to whole other parts of the world to beat them with sticks because we disagree. Right. I mean, this right. actually does feel to me like a much more important thing because and because it's just accepted. I mean, try try calling heaven and hell a myth on primetime television in 2012. Right. We're at a much more contentious time about this now than we were in the 70s and 80s and uh, in the 60s, probably, it mm-hmm. feels to me. And that that to me is a sea change. Now, again, it's a sea change that never hit the air. So, mm-hmm. I mean, so mm-hmm. maybe that's one of the many reasons. I mean, maybe there was somebody sitting in the NBC studios going, oh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> so maybe I mean, maybe it's not as big a sea change as I think, but it feels to me like like that was laid there, that that was put there intentionally to say – yeah, we're we're actually we're actually people out doing people things now. Yeah. Guided by people and 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 choosing to do the best that we can possibly do. Which is why Boyce is dismissive of the fact that, you know, that Pike might go to the fringe of the, you know, known civilization and do something stupid like slave trading. He mm-hmm. he, he doesn't buy that. I mean, Pike's place is you know, on the bridge of the enterprise out there doing uh 
not God's work, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, well, I mean, well, that they're, is... They're, they're doing, you know, what you're getting at is that, you know, this is a, a very humanist right. approach. Right. And, and I very much appreciate that. You know, I, I love the idea that, um, that this may be the first inkling of Gene's philosophy that we get to show sort of, you know, manifest in this piece of TV entertainment. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, I'm really glad that you picked up on it because I think when I was watching it, I thought like, oh, that's nice. And then and I didn't really <laughs> think about it as much. But, but, uh, but you know, putting it into context, uh, you know, again, how, how does a TV audience feel about that in 1965 or more to the point, 2012? Would we be able to get away with that? And maybe not, you know, but you just play devil's advocate here. There, I'm going to use a religious term. Nicely done. Um, to the Telosians, probably anything that the humans believe is legend. Yeah. You know, they, they would see any, any piece of that, uh, that idea of an ultimate uh, judgment or, you know, good and evil. All of these things are legends to them. So maybe they're describing that legend so that Pike understands that it's a legend. Maybe that, that's sort of their interpretation of it. Um, but, yeah, I, I very much like this idea that it, that it was deliberate. Um, you know, certainly other people read the script before it was produced. And, uh, and in that line, just calling it a legend, it, it does say something. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I like that quite a bit. What else you got? <laughs> what else do I have? Well, you know, here's an interesting idea. Um, uh, Pike, Pike tries to, make, to have that Kirk moment. Now, Kirk, of course, hasn't happened yet, but, but Pike tries to have that Kirk moment where he, he goes head-to-head intellectually with the Tolosians to say, you, you know, humans inherently are free, and they need to be free, and they will kill themselves before being a slave. And that, that speech basically falls flat, and the only way he can get out of this is to nearly choke to death a Tolosian. <laughs> Yeah. So, so the, this is 180 degrees the opposite of what Star Trek beha- became with the uh, Captain Picard diplomacy. And no, this is a pretty much I, the only way I'm going to get out of this cage is to throttle my captor and uh, drag him up to the surface with me under threat of death. Well, even so, that doesn't get him out of it, though. Remember, I mean, he gets to no, the surface, yeah. and the Tolosian says, "Ha ha! You have fallen right. into my trap. I got you where I wanted you all along on the surface. Now go make me lots of babies so you can start building me stuff." <laughs> right, right, right. But I, I, I like the idea here that the speech doesn't work, and it, it's interesting that this show is rejected as being too intellectual. Um, but they solve the problem with action. You know, for the most part, they, they, that's the catalyst anyway, is the, the action of Pike figuring out that the raw base emotions um, can't be comprehended by the Toulousians, that they, they can't see through it. And speaking of those base emotions, I, I think we're starting to see here with the Toulousians what we see in later Star Trek in that the alien species is held up as a reflection of humanity. So I mentioned that thing earlier about how in uh, Gene's notes that the Tolosians watch everything on TV. And he is saying something about this sort of passive, voyeuristic society. And 
the Toulousians, you know, like like the Vulcans, like everybody else, they they have just a little sliver of what humans are like, and and have either gone beyond that or have have gone down the wrong end of that. So in this case, the Toulousians are too voyeuristic. They're too passive. And this is what they become. You know, the, the Vulcans, on the other hand, were too emotional. So they had to suppress their emotions in order to be their, their better selves. So I like the idea in this that, that we get uh, those sides of Toulousians that say that we were violent. We did destroy ourselves. Because this waves it to the audience and says, look, th- this is what happens when you can't control yourselves. You know? We see that a lot in Trek. No, I know what you're saying. It's mm-hmm. just, it's kind of weird that the reward is they get to go watch television. <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there's kind of a, there's, there's, there's a, there's a bit of, um, there's a bit of, uh, Tolosian chauvinism about the whole thing. And I'm kind of amazed that Pike just lets it go. Mm-hmm. One of the, so, so when the Tolosians say, and I think you're, I, 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 forgive me, I don't mean to argue with you the whole time, but no, I, I no, think no, no. The, this the is why that, we do what we do. The action that you're missing, I think, is not the fact that he was willing to throttle the Telosium, but the fact that they were all willing to kill themselves. They get back up to the surface, and number one sets her yeah, phaser on overload. Pike actually mm-hmm. arranges a deal. He's like, you know, send, send two of the women back up to the ship. Let me know that the ship's okay because the ship's in danger, which we, you mm-hmm. know, kind of, yeah, it's not an important part, so we kind of skipped over it. But the ship's in danger. And Pike says, all right, like, yeah, I'll stay here with Vina. Just send my two crew people, women, uh, back up to the ship. And, uh, and number one, rather than, you know, go back up to the ship in safety and leave her captain, says something to the effect of it, it's wrong to, to raise a, a race of people just to be your slaves. And then she sets her, her phaser uh, on self-destruct. Mm-hmm. And that to me, that's like the that's the action, really. You know, that sort of, and even that doesn't do it. The Telosian figures she's bluffing, and that's when they find out uh, again, to their surprise, that a, that a gilded cage is still a cage and a, and, and an abhorrent thing, you know, right. to humans. The weird thing, though, is the Telosians. So, so then Pike says, well, you know, what we could do we could set up some kind of trade deal. So, you know, we'll build you your stuff, and you can, um, uh, what's the word, live. <laughs> and the Telosian says, no, no, because here's the problem. You guys would figure out our whole, you know, trick of mind bleepery. And, mm-hmm, then, uh, mm-hmm. and then it would ruin you the same way it ruined us. Because they have sort of this narcotic thing going on. And they're like, as far as like, you know, living so vicariously is almost like a narcotic to them. And, and it's what has actually, you know, sapped their, their will to live or, or, not, or their will to do, actually. They still want to live. They just don't know how right. at this point. Uh, I guess the consolation for the humans is supposed to be that the Telosians are going to die. But all of a sudden, the Telosians become like, you know, these munificent benefactors. I, I guess they really did want people to be happy in their cages because once they find out that they're not going to be happy in their cages, they're willing to let them go. And then Pike says, well, we'll work some deal where you can live. And the Telosian says, no, no, this will destroy your race as well. So you go on. We'll be fine. Right. <laughs> and, and and Pike's like, OK, cool, because I don't really want to know you know, how to do all this stuff with my mind. I mean, there's, there's a weird sort of, there's a weird disconnect there. It's like, well, this is terrible. Well, let me help you. Well, no, it would be worse for you. Well, then I got to go. You know what I mean? Well, well but you know what? I, I think that's another note that I made here about, you know, man versus technology. If we call that mental man, power uh, okay. a technology. And, and I really do feel like there's maybe not an answer here, but there's at least playing with the idea of, how much advancement, how much technology is too much where we 
stop being our human selves. Like clearly to an audience today and certainly an audience in 1965, seeing the cage, they are far more advanced than we are. They have starships, they have warp travel, they have laser guns, they have all this cool stuff. Mm -hmm. But when faced with a technology that is hundreds, if not thousands of years beyond that, um, not only has it completely wrecked what we would say is the the you know human center of that species, but it would also wreck us. So I, I think there is something here in this episode about uh, trying to figure out where that line is and how do we deal with it when we have these new technologies. See, I'm not sure it's fair to say that it's man versus technology. I think it's man versus himself. And if we go ahead and assume for a moment that the Telosians are men, you know, for mm-hmm. this, or mm-hmm. Telosian mm-hmm. versus Telosian, if you want to, Telosian versus himself, it's that. Mm-hmm. This is not, I mean, it doesn't seem to me that this is about technology. I mean, certainly there is always that temptation, but I mean, still they did it. They weren't the ones who, I mean, they went underground and they didn't start immediately working on an air purifier. They started immediately working <laughs> on ways to entertain themselves while they're underground. The right, question is, right. would we do the same thing? But it's not technology's fault when we do that. I've got a computer sitting in front of me and I can do you know, a couple of things with it. I can write stories. I can make art. Or I can go and find porn online. Right. I mean, we've, we've got this today. Right. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't say it is the computer's fault. I wouldn't say it's the Internet's fault. I wouldn't even say it's the purveyor of uh, – or, you know, don't make it about the computer. Make it about, I have, a, I have a fast car, fast enough that I can drive away. Or I could drive to work. You know, mm-hmm. I, mean, they're, they're, I mean, all the technology, guns, guns can be used to protect you or they can be used to take what is not rightfully yours. Is all of this man versus technology or is all of this man versus man or man versus himself? Because ultimately, I mean, it, the, the people to blame for the Telosians using their technology to just sit around and watch, you know, the Real Housewives of Talos Four marathons all of their lives. Love that show. Yeah, yeah. That one. Oh, that one Talosian lady who who, who <laughs> looks that, like a Talosian man, right? And and they all kind of look vaguely like Burgess Meredith to me. I don't yes. know why, but they all look vaguely like Burgess Meredith to me. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's not. It, I don't know that it's fair to say that it's men versus uh, technology because I mean, uh, men arrived in a starship to Talos Four. Right. We were able to find them because of our technology. It seems to me more to be about a man versus, you know, himself thing. At the same time, can we can we can we flip this for one second? And again, to use the sort of pseudo religious stuff, uh, playing devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the Telosians are eventually going to die. Maybe. Well, no, they say we're going to die now because, you know, we don't have people to build our stuff for us. Sure. So, you know, we we don't have enough to harvest and we don't know how to fix, you know, the harvesting machines. So, you know, we're going to die. I'm trying to figure out. (laughs) I know we like the idea that we hate cages. Mm -hmm. I know we love the idea that we hate cages. Mm -hmm. Do we? Yeah. Well, I, you know, like we said before, the, this is a pretty tempting cage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, Pike has everything he could possibly want. Right. Um, and, and, and I like the idea that at the end of this episode, we are spared the easy route of just saying, well, cages are wrong, so we're going to leave. No, Pike leaves, but Vina stays behind. Because yeah. to her, the cage is the better life. Yeah. And, you know, we, I, I'm just going to come right out and say the Telosians maybe can't be trusted. 
So, um, hey, hey, you're gonna you're gonna kill our Telosian audience here. Uh, and you know, the next time a starship comes around, they could very easily grab the next you know ready and willing human male maybe not the captain maybe that's a little too difficult but uh somebody else maybe in a red shirt and uh bring them down and he'd be perfectly happy to yeah, stay that's there a good point you that's, know? A, that's a very good point you know who'd love to come down here jose hang on one second i'll get him for you <laughs> i mean there, there are actually 200 yeah. people up on board the enterprise one of them might have actually been cool with that i mean it's yeah. an interesting thing that we're yeah. always we're always sort of presented with uh it was Stepping entirely out of the Star Trek uh, Star Trek genre, um, mm-hmm. the Matrix. They actually yeah. say in the second Matrix movie that the first like four Matrixes, Matrices, mm-hmm. whatever, that the first four of them were actually meant to be good things for humans. Where they're like, you know, hey, it's like a Garden of Eden yeah, without right. without being cast out. Right? It was just totally awesome, right. and people right. couldn't hack it. We've got this idea that we that we need or that we want sort of the struggle, mm-hmm. and yet when I drive down the street, I can see. The incandescent glow of 50-inch televisions everywhere I go. And I joked about the Real Housewives of Talos 4 earlier, but seriously, <laughs> any weekend, uh, MSNBC is all about prison. Um, yeah. uh, uh, Bravo is all about the Real Housewives of someplace. I mean, so many shows at this point are, I mean, it's like Talosians are programming it. It's like, hey, what are other people doing? Watch. Right. Watch what other people are doing. And and it's right. kind of neat to sit there and say, you know, well, we, we, we're better than this and we don't want to do this. But the fact of the matter is, just about any time you turn on television at this point, there's more um, watching what other people are doing. Uh, you know, cops, TMZ. We're like a satellite office of Talos 4, at least as far, yeah. as, our, as, far as our programming is concerned. So right. maybe I should go outside and, you know, trade some green women. <laughs> well, you know, that does kind of raise the question then, is the cage like a holodeck um, in the respect that, well, obviously it's totally immersive, it can be made to feel real, mm-hmm. um, but of course the big difference is you can't get out of a cage unless you kill your captor. Uh, holodeck, you can ask for the computer program to stop but in terms of entertainment you know like you're saying sort of losing yourself in somebody else's life uh, a holodeck does the same thing doesn't it um i guess except they're for a limited time and also it's not i mean it's not if pike had just been a little bit dumber Mm -hmm. or a little bit more dumb hey there's Mm -hmm. a great i don't actually know the proper way to say that word that's awesome (laughs) <laughs> if Pike had been a little bit less intelligent, he might have believed okay. that he was on his home planet. Yeah. Or he might have yeah. believed that he was back on Rigel 7. See what the Talosians need. This is where they went wrong. Okay. <laughs> they, they picked so, a smart so they're going to fix this for next time. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Next time somebody they, – they picked a smart guy. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's the difference with the holodeck, I think. I know the holodeck can be real, but you go into the holodeck. If they had not um, Pike unconscious and had him wake up on his home planet – then he might have just, you know, wow, I had the weirdest dream where I was a star captain. Let's right. go for a ride. Trigger. Right. What was it? Trigger? Biscuit? What was the name of the horse? <laughs> I can't remember the, the horse's name. Yeah. But, yeah, it was uh, Trigger or Biscuit. <laughs> lightning or... Uh, Something horsey, know. you know. Yeah. 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 And what's interesting to me is I think if you asked everybody, you know, as, as sort of a thought exercise, mm-hmm. would you rather be somebody that sits in a cage and watches TV all day or would you rather go out and, you know, do... 
Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd all say, oh, I'd rather go out and do. But, you know, come the weekend. What do we actually do? If there's a game on, yeah. if, you know, if there's a if there's a marathon of some show that we like or something like that, a lot of us, you know, don't actually do. We'll just, you know, watch the real, real Housewives of Rigel 7. Conclusion. Does this 20th century telling of a 23rd century story stand up to viewing in the 21st century? So there are a couple of questions that we that we tend to think we want to end with. Um, and, you know, we'll see how things go as things go. But I, uh, one of them is... is Probably every week. Does this episode stand the test of time from a production point of view? Let's not let's not talk about the morals yet. Let's just talk about you know the show itself. What did what do you think of the uh, sort of the production values of it? Well, you know, I watched the uh, the remastered Blu-ray, mm-hmm. um, and, and as we do the course of this podcast, I think I'll primarily stick with that. And I'm not sure which version you're watching, uh, but it, it looks gorgeous, and yeah, it does look dated like it looks like a show that was made in the 60s you know hairstyles are different you know the technology of building sets is different but um i'm seeing a very pristine version of that and there's just so much detail like the bridge is beautiful the the hand props are gorgeous so i I think if you can watch it in that context saying this is a really well done piece of you know mid 20th century tv production i think it does hold up yeah and i think you. it yeah i think it looks great the lasers are fantastic the um mm-hmm. I, the lasers are wonderful in like a i mean in a hand-drawn kind of way i know when you get to you know battle well battle Galactica didn't have lasers but when you get to you know like star trek the next generation or you know things like that mid 80s and later mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um when you can just sort of generate lasers, you know, from a computer, yeah, we'll just we'll just lay in the laser here and it'll be fine. I mean, there's really yeah. something wonderful about it. It honestly reminded me of Forbidden Planet. I was just thinking the same thing. That that hand animated. There's something really yeah. artistic to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and because there's more of a concentration on color and there's more of a concentration on what it's going to look like. We don't have a right. button that we can push from a production standpoint and say, okay, we'll just drop in a laser there. I mean, right. somebody worked hard on that, and there really is there's something. If you're if you're a geek, you know as far as science fiction, both old and new, there's something there's something beautiful about about having to you know draw this destructive thing, having to really mm-hmm. decide everything about exactly how that's going to look and exactly how you know it's going to react when it, when it hits the wall. Because I mean, there's no physical thing there. I mean, so yeah. it, it deciding that is really just a really very pretty, really very pretty. And, and I have to say that even in HD, you know, the the Telosian makeup looks fantastic it really does yeah you can see a seam every now and then here and there but but the little bulges on their brains the little veins pulsing yeah when they start pulsing that's really when they sold it for me yeah yeah seriously that was that's that's an attention to detail and also um, a level of uh, a level of uh, a vacuum that um should be applauded even today i think yeah, it looks so good. And another set that I liked quite a lot was uh, Pike's Quarters. You know, it's a very different look from uh, what we see for uh, a crew quarters later on in the show. He's he's sort of casually lounging about, and the doctor brings him a martini in this leather medical case. Um, but it was a real sort of like tactile feel to everything, and I, I, I like that quite a lot. So yeah. it, it, this is 
there's a lot of high production value here as rich with detail, even though it's TV in the mid 60s. Now let's do the other one. Okay. Uh, do the morals presented in this episode stand the test of time? Hmm. Mm. Well, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say the slave trading as a career option does not. Um, but, it, you know, I think making a judgment here about, um, uh, it, you know, science fiction is a reflection of ourselves and saying that it is wrong to just live vicariously through TV and captured entertainment as opposed to going out and doing, as you pointed out, is just as relevant today as it would have been 20 or 40 or 50 years ago. Maybe more uh, so. Yeah. Maybe more yeah. so because, I mean, when Star Trek was on, you had what? Four channels? Yeah. ABC, NBC, CBS, maybe and PBS. Maybe an and, and maybe, yeah. right, and maybe if you were if you were in like a major, major metro, you might have yeah. had one or two other television stations. Right. And now I've got, I think, I think mine goes up to a thousand. I don't have them all, but my cable box goes up to a thousand. Wow. Well, some of them don't have anything on them. <laughs> but I mean, you know, you know what I'm you mean, saying? You mean like all of them? <laughs> they used to have, they used to have, you know, I mean, we used to play the national anthem at the end of the night. And that's how you knew you were up far too late. If yeah. you got to the part where they played the national anthem and television went off, then seriously, you've been up way too long. And, and, and so as cautionary as that tale is, as far as, uh, as far as the cage is concerned, it wasn't nearly the option that it is today. Yeah. And so it actually, I think you're right. I think it actually, that, that, that moral probably carries more weight today than, um, than it would have in 60, half of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there are other touchstones within this episode that, that may or may not be good points of discussion you know like going back to what you said about uh, hell as a legend and all these i think those are good topics that we always will debate and we always will continue to debate um but but the, the central theme here that that really stuck with both of us about um tv and sort of losing your physical ability your human vitality all of that i think gene roddenberry is very prescient with uh, this episode now i will so. say if we ever get really good virtual reality i reserve mm -hmm. the right to change my answer <laughs> <laughs> the, you, you were just gonna lose you to the holiday uh, yeah see you later i gotta go <laughs> you kidding me i'm hanging out with uh, claudia schiffer and uh and that other chick i don't know i know i mean it's it, it's a horrible thing to say i mean i it's I think that's a debate as well that will go on forever. But I think, you know, mm -hmm. most of us won't be having that debate. Yeah. I think the second week, who was it? I, I said Claudia Schiffer earlier, but I believe it was, it was either Bill Maher or Dennis Miller. And I don't normally confuse them. But one of them said when they first heard about virtual reality that they have seen the end of civilization. And what it boiled down to was when you can um, uh, do, let's say, what the Telosians wanted Pike to do with Vina. Mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. whomever you want whenever you want right uh society's done you got like another week yeah <laughs> at that point <laughs> so i mean it's it's actually i guess maybe it's something to guard against or maybe um maybe you just need to be mindful of whether you're the uh Telosian or the uh or the or the thing in the cage Ugh, which is such yeah. that's such a downer way to end isn't it well but uh, you know it, it's no lie to say that that industry the adult industry has 
pushed a lot of technological advancement, and maybe the internet <laughs> as we know it would not be here as it is if it weren't for. Uh, Dude, I'm not just talking industry. about porn. We'd watch cartoons. I, I, yeah. I hate to be. Yeah. I hate to be a, when. And I'm not even talking about pornographic cartoons. I mean, you yeah. know. I'd, I'd watch the Max Fletcher Superman Popeye marathon. It's beautiful, and I could totally get lost in that, too. This really is a downer way to uh, – but but everything's going to be fine, kid, so. <laughs> but, but you know what? But what's so cool about – and I will turn this around, and I will give you kind of the, the positive ending here. Uh, it, what's cool about this episode and what's cool about Star Trek and I think why we're doing this show is that ultimately, you know, Captain Pike makes – the right choice and ultimately right. pike is able to see the difference between the falsehood of the fantasy and the the difficult but more acceptable reality um and i i think that's what star trek tries to do very often it's to start, sort of like reinforce and reinvigorate the idea of that that human drive um, for exploration, for being better than oneself. So, and even if they truly are all better than we are in our day-to-day lives, um, it, it kind of says, "Hey, this is something to watch out for." You know, you know we we don't want to become that that species, that race. You're right. I get I get caught up in being a little bit of a gloomy gust. But I was just saying earlier. I mean, the cool thing is they are laying out for us. We're going to have all this technology without spelling it out for us that we may, in fact, move past the whole idea of being guided by the idea of heaven and hell, which, again, they mm-hmm. don't they don't hammer that home. It's just sort of like, I mean, that's that's part of the scenery. Right. And and certainly part of the scenery is uh, in, in the end, um, we make the right choices. Yeah, I know. I know we're actually uh, we're, we're, we're making one right now to say, um, how do you want to say it? Sayonara. It's good night, friends, but not goodbye. <laughs> how, how do you want to do it? Well, I think we'll just say uh, good night and thank you for joining us. Well, except and we do have, we have to say you know join us next week because the, right. the first actual first actual episode of Star Trek to actually hit the airwaves um, is it, it, coming your way. We invite you to join us in the Man Trap. I can't wait. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Assuming any of this has actually happened, and we didn't just imagine the whole episode, we will talk to you again next week. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.